Welcome to The Pestle. Reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Groundhog Day. Hosted by Groundhog Day. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Mamazon. Tracking everything about you for a premium consumption experience. Shop Mamazon. Welcome everyone to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And we got a lot going on today. We are filmmakers. We watch and analyze films based on our experience in front of, behind the camera, working in all phases of production. Um, and we do this in order to get a little bit better at what we do because it's fun. We just love movies. We're movie guys. Todd, I think, went and watched Oppenheimer for the umpteenth time. I think he was just going to sit and do some paperwork. And he was like, you know what? I want to do that in a theater with Oppenheimer yeah. in the background. Yeah, um, of course. Right. <laughs> and so we have a lot going on. I'm really excited for the end of the episode. Stay tuned for more details on that in one second. Um, let's dive right in. Todd, what are we doing today, man? Today we are covering Source Code. Uh, it's a bit of an older film about 12, 13 years old. So if you haven't seen the film, please pause this episode, go watch it. It's not streaming, but I believe you can rent it for three, four bucks, something like that. Nice. I think it's worth it. We'll look at a few things. We'll talk about cinematography, the contrast, uh, breaking the 180 degree rule. Uh, we'll also look at some of the story and writing, the details, the theme, uh, some of the stakes. And at the very end of the episode, if you're interested and want to hear something awesome, we're going to listen to Todd's new song. It's called Ready to Fall. Uh, it's out now. You can listen to it on Spotify and I assume Apple Music and a lot of other places. Check the show notes. Uh, and we're going to listen to the song and Todd's going to drop some info about the song uh, and the creation process uh, and all kinds of fun little details that you probably didn't catch. And so stay tuned for all of that and other such stuff and things and stuff. And a quick synopsis of the film. A soldier wakes up in someone else's body and has to find the bomber of a commuter train within eight minutes. Directed by Duncan Jones, written by Ben Ripley, cinematography by Don Burgess, featuring Jake Gyllenhaal as Captain Coulter Stevens, Michelle Monaghan as Christina, Vera Farmiga as Goodwin, Jeffrey Wright as Rutledge, and Michael Arden as Derek Frost. You're still here. Of course I am. Guess what? You quit your job and you enrolled in an LSAT course. Good guess. Soda can. Coffee spill. Listen to me. Don't answer this. You deserve better than that guy. Everything looks more beautiful in retrospect, doesn't it? How did you know that was... How well do you know me? Not that well, apparently. You know me well enough that if I did something that looked a little strange and was maybe even a little bit dangerous, but I told you to trust me anyway that you could do that? No. Wow, that was honest. You're beautiful, you're kind, and you're painfully honest. Who are you? What did you do with Sean Fentress? It's the new me. I love that. I love that little ending. It's the new me. And then we cut. That's... Mm -hmm. Great build, great good use of music and cinematography, performance. It all kind of peaks together. It's choreographed very, very tightly. Yeah. Man, Source Code is one of those under-the-radar films that people are probably vaguely aware of. Maybe they caught it. Maybe they didn't. It's in a tradition of time loop films. 
few we've already covered, right? Uh, we haven't covered Groundhog Day, uh, but we've, we've covered, you know, Run Lola Run, uh, not too long ago, uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Um, and I'm sure there's probably one other that I'm not thinking of somewhere in there. What do you think of source code and time lap movies as a subgenre of science fiction? I mean, I, I love them because they just, they, they give you so much to kind of play with, right? You can play with either time or things happening again and how the person responds to that. If it takes them a while to realize, or if they realize right away and if they're able to capitalize on things, relationships develop, you know, throughout. So you can watch his relationship with Christina develop throughout and her, how she responds a little bit differently each time, you know? Um, yeah, I love this genre. I, I think that it's super intriguing. I mean, obviously we love sci-fi, but that's a, and this is definitely a, a sci-fi theme, right? Of the, the possibilities of time loop and stuff. So I really love it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed this, this film specifically. I thought it was a lot of fun and, and really thoughtful. And I did not remember the ending either. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's been a minute since I have seen this. So when it, when it happened and everything froze, I thought, oh, that's a, okay, that makes sense. You know, and what a, what a cool way for him to think about, like, like I'm going to save all these people, meaning I'm going to put them in a good place when I know this is going to happen, you know? Uh, So anyway, I thought it was a blast. And then the ending was really shocking and it was fulfilling and it felt like, okay, this, this makes sense. And it's still in a sci-fi realm because they're basically creating universes every time he loops, right? Uh, It's just in this universe, he saves everyone. Quantum entanglement, parabolic calculus. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, I was a little confused by Michelle Monaghan's performance. Hmm. I will say. Um, because she's, I mean, she's really a great actress or actor, but it just felt like it was a, like kind of a little bit staged. And I wondered if it was a, a byproduct of the, of the, the, the source code, right. Her, her, the way that she was acting, or if it was just, that was her acting. I don't know. It was just like really. I don't know. I don't know any people that act like that. I don't that like which part so, like dial in a little bit more. Uh, yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying. It's like okay. the whole the whole thing really. It was just like she's just so okay. Just all the time. Like do you trust me? No. But then she's but then she's smiling and then it was like uh I think that most people would if somebody was acting the way Jillian Hall's character or was acting and they knew them they would be a little bit more like what is happening, you know, like mm. questioning a little bit more instead of like going with it. But I, I'm sure there are people out there that are like that, that are just kind of like rolling with whatever comes at them a little bit. And do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I do because there, there are these, cause yeah, the first time he comes out of, he wakes up like when we start the film and he is just looking completely confused and lost and she's like, I took your advice. It feels like, are you not reacting to what's in front of you? Exactly. Uh, and so I pick up. Yeah, I agree. I think the other thing that I've been thinking about while watching it, you know, uh, the last couple of times is 
their relationship is still pretty superficial. Like this is a person you only ever see in the mornings on the train and the last, and you're, you're kind of into them. And so you don't want to make things weird or awkward. It's like you're going on a first date. The way you act on a first date is not the way you act on, you know, a 10th date, right? Uh, You're on your best behavior. You don't want to be the weird one. And so I try to think about it in those terms of she still doesn't know this guy enough to really be weird with him. And so even though he's acting weird, maybe she's like, okay, uh, I'm good over here. Um, And but she's also thinking about a relationship with him because uh, she's broken up with her boyfriend. She says even, you know, I've been waiting for weeks. So maybe she's really only known this guy for, you know, a few weeks, maybe let's say a month. That's the way I started framing it in my head of yeah. why would she act so nonchalant about him clearly being freaked out about something? Uh, yeah. And so that's that was my best <laughs> case. Uh, no, that's that's great explanation. I think you're probably spot on. That's probably where the direction <laughs> came from. I would say, but even within that, because yeah, she as an actor I, is being forced into, she's cornered, right? She has to play that part in that way. But I still really loved her performance because she is adding a lot of nuance despite the time loop circumstances. Every time something weird is coming at her, like uh, even whenever she, at the beginning, when she goes to reach in for his ticket, like uh, that's a non dialogue performance that you can't really write it and you can't yeah. even tell her what you want. You just have to tell her react <laughs> to him acting weird and touchy. And she's just kind of like, and she does it anyway. Like there's these weird little wrinkles that she's throwing in that to your point earlier, we know she's a great actor, um, but there is something slightly askew with her character that unfortunately it takes too much of what I did, right. Of, making excuses for it that don't really sell into the story yeah well i mean i think that explanation actually like makes a lot of sense you know there are several i mean her even in the clip you that you said he asks her do you know me well enough to like Mm. go along with this and she says no right (laughs) i don't think it was just her you know trying to be funny i think she really you know doesn't know him well enough to say yeah i'm okay with that you know um so yeah that's a good point um i really love that you know the twist of that he's in this box in in this room and he's you know kind of like cut off at the waist and like destroyed but kept alive his brain is kept alive and and i love the the twist at the very end of them creating their own universes right and him uh he's a soldier right jake gyllenhaal is is just a great actor um in everything that i've seen him in you know you know we're super fans of him yeah um you know, we prisoners and, and, uh, Oh, enemy enemy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just a couple examples. And this is, this is another great example of, of him being able to take something and make it into something a little bit more special, you know, like, yes, the, the script is, a it has good twists and it's a cool sci-fi and there's, there's interesting stuff that happens, but really it's the way that he responds to things and how fast he is able to react and and just the i guess the non-acting like he's a very good non-actor where he just is able to take in information you could watch him take in information and process it and you're literally watching him process it in real time and uh i think that's a great sign of a of a good actor agreed because there's that moment 
whenever he's she's doing the uh, the sequencing, and you can see both him processing like yes, and also what the hell is happening? Why am I responding this way? And it's just a performance thing. There's yeah. again nothing you can write. There's no dialogue that's cueing that. Yeah, I mean he's got he's got two different times, two different him hymns that he's digesting information. The the hymn that's in the source code and the hymn that's out of the source code. Mm. I mean, I guess technically he's always in the source code. True. But him that's in the box talking to Goodwin and him that's in the train talking to Christina uh, or just interacting with the people. And so he has to learn in different ways, but be the same person in both of those scenarios that I mean, that's that seems pretty difficult to me to to do that in a way where you buy in. Yeah. Uh, and I think that he does that really well. Um, and then, and then yes, the, the twist at the end where they, this, the stop, you know, for that long period of time and you're just, you've accepted the ending, right. As that's beautiful. That's such yeah. a beautiful ending. I mean, that's great directing and that's great editing, I think, but then, and great writing, but then for it to continue on also feels great, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, and it feels like, Oh, and I think that ha- that has a lot to do with the writing, I think, because we've humanized him so much. We've given him a backstory of mm. of like early on of I, I want to call my dad where, you know, where is my father? Where is my unit? He cares about other people over himself. And it's established right at the beginning. We know he's a soldier. We know something's going on, but we don't know where he is. But he's asking for his unit. He's asking for uh, his father. And then as we go on, he's never thinking about himself he's always thinking about other people and so and so at the end we just want something good for him you know and we and he he gets something good because he gets the kiss from christina and you think he's you know and he's the one who's like basically like made everybody happy but then he also gets something wonderful and that he has his a life back right which means he's got his dad too because his dad's alive in this universe right uh-huh. Yeah, but I mean, he might not be able to go see his dad because he's now the other guy, I guess. You know? And that's an awkward conversation. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but then he gets the conversation with his dad, too, on the phone as this other guy, um, So, or a, a, another guy who was with his son uh, when he passed away. So it's so fulfilling. It's so like, you know, the gun going off scenario in this film for me. And uh, I really enjoyed enjoyed it and i felt good at the end even though so many people die throughout the whole thing and he gets the bad guy too you know like i don't know it maybe it's a popcorn thing for me but it's just really wonderful <laughs> it is it is a popcorn thing like because this movie does a really nice job of making it accessible and still maintaining some good sci-fi heartbeat right like yeah. the the whole mini worlds idea of of this um, and figuring out a way to, to visualize, to, to create some kind of visual identity with him being stuck in his body. Like that's, that's really useful. It's useful as a narrative tactic, but also just something interesting to, to have happening on screen and another kind of a, a obstacle for the character to overcome. They could have easily have just put him in that box and, and, you know, every time we're, we're talking with him, we're, Maybe it's just voiceover or something. You didn't have to create this whole other realm for him to inhabit. And it's it to me, it's on the short side of uh, 
science fiction, popcorn, theatric, uh, because I liked it too. I don't think it's one that I've, I've seen it a few times since it, you know, hit theaters. Uh, but it's not one that I get a craving for very often. Um, if I do, it's, it's mostly to see Hall and Michelle Mon- Monaghan interacting with each other. Great chemistry. And I think that's both of their talent, right? Uh, they just have chemistry with everyone they're ever on screen with. Um, you know, kiss, kiss, bang, bang, right? Uh, she's amazing. Uh, True Detective season one, she's amazing. Like uh, Hall, every time he's on screen, you're just engaged. Uh, even him awkwardly trying to give everyone on the train the business. He has chemistry with everyone on that train. Like that's pretty wild. Um, whether it's the, the, the college student or the guy, man, I think some of my favorite interactions was, is with him and the, the guy on the phone, um, that he goes through his bag. Right. And he's doing this like passive aggressive thing about like, just like me can never find what you're looking for. You sit down, buddy. This doesn't end well for you. <laughs> like He's just, and everyone's, responding exactly how you would expect them to respond to something like that happening. Like they're all just like, you're one an a-hole, but I'm also going to wait for you to finish because I don't know what's going on right now, but I don't want any part of it. It's just really strong writing, great performance. Um, Yeah, this, it works for me on all the levels you're talking about. And it's a quick 90 minute ride. Like, you get a lot of bang for your buck in this film. And I can I imagine think that's a big thing that makes it too. If this yeah. was a two hour movie, it would be so much worse, you know, but the fact that it's 90 minutes or 93 minutes, whatever it is, is it just makes it easy to sit down, enjoy and get in, get out and then just have this experience. It's just like, yeah, great point about the length. Super easy. I don't think enough big budget. Cause this was a $32 million budget. Uh, and I feel like once Nowadays, if people get into that territory, they're more inclined to push that into the two-hour territory for some misguided reason. My mentality when creating anything is make it no longer than it needs to be. And that's it. If it needs to be a two-minute video, it's a two-minute video. If it can be a 30-second video, it's probably better off for it. If a movie can be 90 minutes, it should be 90 minutes. Don't make a 90 minute idea into our three hour extravaganza, but was afraid. Like there is so many films that make this mistake of if we can stretch it and give more bang, make it more theatrical experience. If it only makes the movie better, you know, a better experience. And usually tighter run times do that. Um, there are very few times where you can push into three hours where you've earned it. Like for me, meet Joe black three hours. Yes, please. Um, but they earn it every single minute. I feel like is being earned in different strokes, different folks, all that. I'll run through a few notes, uh, because I want to come back to something you were saying a minute ago. Um, but it's going to be at the end of my notes. Cinematography wise, this is to me, not a super strong look. This is, uh, for its time, almost boilerplate right? Uh, it's the aesthetic is, it's very simple in terms of lighting and contrast, right? It's got some contrast. It's pushing it a little bit, uh, especially depending on when and, and what our angle is like him looking out the window, pretty high contrast. You almost lose the detail in his cheek as it's put against the skyline, right? That's a lot of contrast happening. But the, the, to me, the interesting thing is I'm saying all that. And yet 
if you were to watch this back to back with almost any movie released on streaming, this has a much stronger look. Like we've lost a lot of look in our films today that are being produced. This shouldn't have that strong of a look, but the contrast between then and now is way stronger than it should be. And that probably says more about our current production pipeline um, than, you know, Duncan Jones's artistic, you know, direction with this thing. But the uh, color wise, like the capsule is a very obvious thing, right? It's bluer. It's a lot less saturated than reality. And what I find interesting about that is I think they had to mostly do it with the lighting because they also installed the monitor of Goodwin right there. And you can see reality. It's so much more contrasty or uh, uh, saturated and stronger look, vibrant oranges and and reds, you know, just popping out compared to his blue uh, tomb, uh, which is what they're going for, right? This is him kind of dying, kind of dead um, and in his head. And so you want to reduce all the saturation, reduce the color, um, make it bluer. And you're selling all those ideas so that once you reveal those things, it feels right. Of course, of course, we've been locked inside his body. That's nearly dead. Um, look how blue everything was. It's cooled off. And so the other thing too is Goodwin on the monitor or even when we're looking at the POV of those monitor shots, her face is so much brighter than her background. And that's perfectly intentional, but also motivated. Those two things are important. A lot of times you see the idea, of course, is the brighter a, a part of the screen is, the the easier it is to attract our eye. You're trying to direct the viewer's eye. And so we go to the part of the image that's a little bit brighter versus everything else that's darker. And so that's your intention. But here it's also motivated because she's sitting literally right in front of a light source a screen, right? The computer screen. And so having her face brighter also goes hand in hand with what's actually happening in, in the, in the story, in the environment. Um, and that's really nice. Uh, cause not everyone always does that. You don't always have to, don't get me wrong. It depends on the genre story, the scene, but for my taste personally, I like it to be highly motivated, but sometimes you also got to play the game. The 180 line is really nice here in the establishing. Every time we go to the train, or establish our establishing shot moving in across the water. That's a gorgeous shot. Uh, that's a you need it to be beautiful enough that we don't mind reliving it. You know, five times uh, in the movie. But it's also nice uh, to see the train going from left to right. Right, everything is moving forward. Uh, there's a, a directional component to it, um, and it's also very strong in your brain because after a certain point, right? We, I think it's on loop seven. After hearing his father's audio clip and we go back in, we jump the line. Suddenly on that one, our establishing shot, we've broken the axis and suddenly we're watching the train approach and it's going from right to left, right? Um, and this is, of course, the time whenever he uh, finds Frost and the dirty bomb uh, and he kind of solves everything, even though the train still explodes um, and he dies and Christina dies. But every, otherwise, everything else goes perfectly, <laughs> Um, but then on the final loop, because he gets to go back in one more time, right? Um, he, we go back to the normal line. We go back to our normal establishing line train going left to right. That's really nice because that's the line we've been using this whole time. Therefore it feels right. 
And that's a, an emotional state because now we're getting into the end game of where is this movie really going? How's it going to end? Well, we're off to a good start because it feels right. And we'll come back to that in a moment. Um, story and writing wise, time loop films, you need to do details. Details are everything, right? Because if you don't have those details, then you can't have that moment where he says, Coke can, coffee spill, don't answer the phone ticket punch <laughs> like he's he's just with his eyes closed like navigating around it right um and all those details are great because it's also a lot of information especially in this context because not all time loop movies are about solving a crime and here he has to solve a crime he has a timeline that he has to get in and out of or else mission fail um and so the more details, the better, because the audience now has to take in all these details. We have to figure out what's useful, what's not. And so we're also doing what he's doing. Uh, it's a really empathetic thing that they have us doing of of trying to solve the crime with him. Um, and that's a really satisfying thing, because every time something happens, we're like, oh, it's him. <laughs> like, you just can't help it. There's even that moment whenever uh, he's on the phone. This feels like this is the the start of the previous loop where um, or the penultimate loop where he does solve it. And it's uh, the guy on the phone and he, he gets on the phone and he sits down next to the guy. And as we're sitting down next to that guy, we watch the uh, the college kid get up and leave. And suddenly that kid feels suspicious. <laughs> like We have not suspected him once the entire movie, but suddenly him avoiding seeing his fo- his face in the frame, which as an actor, actor probably kind of sucks. Like he doesn't want to see my face, but for the viewing experience, a directorial choice, you want that. You want to start cueing the viewer into, wait, is it the college kid? <laughs> like you just, uh, but because you're hiding him, um, he moves quickly throughout the frame. Um, we don't follow him. Like we're, we feel stuck. Now we're feeling trapped with this guy that suddenly we know it's not him, but you're just screw details. Details are everything. And so every person on the train is a detail to flesh out a possible terrorist, but we also need a backstory to all of these people like why are they on the train and um what are they doing and so all of that is just writing decisions um that you get to it's fun like as a writer that should be like the funnest thing in the world is filling up the landscape with all these meaningless details just to screw with the viewer uh that's a fun fun thing to me like the the ticket puncher himself right we don't see him in the first two loops and you're like, what's going on with the ticket puncher? And then on the third loop, we finally meet the guy and he just looks way too friendly and non-threatening. And uh, he gives Hall that look. You're kind of strange. <laughs> Sorry. What yeah, I, I, I was going to say that that uh, I loved the. Um, oh, man, you talked about the ticket puncher and then I lost it. The um, oh, oh, the way that they get that they provide information because of the way Hall's character is angry. You know, I feel mm. like a lot of times, a lot of times the person who doesn't have the information should be angrier that they don't when someone who does isn't providing it Ooh. in a film. And he, he has the right amount of forcefulness to be resourceful enough to either get the information from Goodwin, like pull it out of her, like beg her for it basically, or to go rogue when he goes back into source code and find out, you know, like when he's searching on the phone to find out about his, his dad or, or himself, right? And that's awesome to see 
the the main character do something that I probably would hope that I would do, you know, like, like, oh, you know, I'm not just going to do whatever you tell me to do. I want to know what's going on. I need information. I'm going to fight to get it. If you're not going to give it to me, then I'm going to get it myself when I'm, you know, in the source code. And I, I like that. That is also fulfilling because it, you, you feel like you identify with the character more because they're not just sitting back, like taking it because that's what the script says to do, you know, or the story says to do. That's a great point. I think that's one of the hardest things sometimes in, in creating a story, that, a brand new story. I don't think this is based off of anything. I think yeah. Ben Ripley wrote this whole cloth, right? But you want your characters to fight for themselves and finding ways for them to do that is, is so important. And that's such a good point. Like, he is frustrated at his inability to get anything done. But then also, the like you said, the people that are supposed to be on his side aren't acting like they're on his side. And so you want your character reacting to that and becoming proactive. Because if your character only ever reacts to everything around them, you have a very boring character. But if stuff happens to your character and now he's trying to figure out how to become proactive as a result of that, that's a satisfying character because, like you said, that's what we do. We are thinking about how would I react in, in this situation. You want your audience agreeing with it and saying yes. You don't want your audience saying, why is she acting so weird despite this guy acting weird? That's not a good place because if you and I both had those thoughts, uh, maybe I don't know what you could do, but maybe there's something else you could have done uh, either in the writing or on the directing side um, to, to help your, your audience go more with you uh, along the way. Um, his name Coulter is an interesting name um, on the one hand, Colt, like a gun Colt 45. And so you can see him being a weapon, right? And also Colt, like a foal, like a young male horse, you can also see him being this new to the world, freshling, trying to figure it all out, like get his legs. Um, and so that's a really fun name, Colt, because of the these kind of implicit ideas that, you know, get thrown into your head um, on a very subtle level, if at all. Yeah. Why not? I'm a, I'm a big fan of usernames. Like it's one of the few writing tools uh, that you can take advantage of in, in sub subtextual ways. Uh, so, so do it. Uh, yeah. Theme themes are fun. This, I felt like I've never really been able to put a, like, what is all this about? What are we doing here? Um, and I feel like sitting and, and doing notes really helped me to it because it's, it's so simple. It's so utterly simple. Um, and yet the more I thought about it, the more I was like, Oh, I guess it's right there, which is, Everything is going to be okay. That's kind of the, if you're going to make a thematic statement about this film, it's that everything is going to be okay, which is really pertinent given the topic. But let me see if I can prove my, my work here. Uh, the end of the first loop, he's freaking out. And what does Christina tell him? Everything's going to be okay. Boom. So on the one hand, you're setting a, a thematic, you know, thesis statement and on the other hand, the, the experience is you want things to be cued so that and this is a very in comedy, especially you see this a lot, right? Uh, that guy's never going to walk through that door in a million years. Door opens, the guy walks through, right? Like that's just comedy one-on-one kind of stuff. But also dramatically having something timed like that, like 
everything's going to be okay. And then everyone dies. Like that contrast is very striking and uh, you don't want her to say that. And then two minutes later, the bomb goes off. It just isn't as poignant, right? Um, it loses its punch. Um, and so the second loop, right? How to, right before the boom, there's not going to be a next time. Um, and so now he's getting, you know, frustrated. Um, and then right before he dies in the third loop on the track, they're yelling for him. And the last one, the last thing that they say is get off the track, Sean and train hits him, runs him smooth over, which you also need because, uh, as we'll learn later, if he doesn't die, the, the loop doesn't reset. He kind of, he's, he's there. And so fourth loop is him trying to come to terms with the idea that everything is going to be okay. And what does he tell her? Right before the train explodes, he tells her, tell me everything is going to be okay. She looks at him. Everything's going to be okay. That shot. Oh, the explosion traveling in slow motion up the aisle. Guts With you. them kneeling down, looking at each other. Just, yeah. Yeah. That's super famous shot. Well, to me it is. Like yeah. when I saw it, I was like, I remember that. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that yeah. sticks in your head for a while. It's beautiful. And then... He starts getting just pushed back in against his will, right? Fifth and sixth loops, fail, fail, um, and he's losing it. Um, and before the seventh loop, Rutledge, that's whenever he starts manipulating, right? He uses his uh, Coulter's father's respect and admiration for him, uses it against him, right? Plays a clip about how Coulter couldn't abandon his unit, as told by his father. Um, and that's when we get this resolve, the steely, like, Okay, and it's at that point where everything changes. It's him committing. Up until that point, it was fatalism. But now it's determinism. Like I'm, uh, well, determinism, fatalism are technically the same thing. But it's the determination taking over of him, right? The force of will. Like this isn't about me being forced to do something. This is about me going and attacking and getting it done. Um, and that's when he says, send me back in. That's the first time he says that in the entire you know, up until that point. Um, and of course that is when we break the axis, right? That's when we break the 180 rule on that establishing shot. Something is different. We feel it. Something is different. And now this is when he finds the bomber, right? Derek Frost and Frost does the whole, you know, bad guy villain reveal, um, as Coulter's dying on the ground with Christina in front of him. And he tells him like, the, I think the world is hell and I, he wants to reset it, right? What does he say? We have a chance to start over in the rubble, but first there has to be rubble. Now, as far as villain motives go, yeah, whatever, that's fine. We don't need much, especially for this kind of movie. You don't really need much. But what I find interesting about that is that same idea applies also to Coulter himself. He needs to start over in the aftermath of his destroyed life. So thematically, I like that it's tying into the motives of the bomber himself. Like, let's just lightly reinforce the theme here. Um, you can go back into another episode where we talked about how maybe there could have been a stronger theme through line. I am legend uh, is, a, is a good one to go and revisit. And here we have a very strong and so simple. It's just we're going to keep continuing on this idea that everything will be fine. And him... Um, at this point, there's also just as a, a sidetrack, um, there's also this thing Frost says, 
as he opens the dirty bombs case, right? Uh, the, the detonator. And what does he tell uh, Coulter? He says, not many people could build that. Like for him, it's a point of pride. But also the reason I love that line is that it's kind of a, a reassurance from the, the, the writer or the director. This is not a very realistic threat. I don't think that's an accident given the context of this film. Um, the aftermath of nine 11, there's this whole fear that now 10 years later, I think we were mostly like over the fear, the threats, but I still like that, you know, as a, as a motivator for this movie of we're fine. Everything's going to be fine. And them saying that these bombs are really hard to build. Like this guy, this schmo couldn't have built it. Like, uh, yeah, in a number of ways we're fine anyway. Uh, so he solves all the information that the, the team needs. He solves it. He goes back and, he finally gets what he's asking for, right? Goodwin is going to is gonna help him. And we go to our final loop. And I love this final loop because the stakes are so good. This is the final run. There is no failing. There's no safety net. You don't get to start over. And every time loop movie, at least a thriller, needs that moment of this is it. No second chances. So good. And so there's also an interesting element here of the trolley problem. Uh, I think I think we do have a trolley problem here. Uh, the the classic trolley problem is this, you know, uh, philosophical exercise, right? An ethical exercise of morality. If you have a a train on a track that's going to run over five people, and you can throw a switch that makes it switch tracks and only kill one person, do you do it? That's that's a hard question to answer in movies, books, um, lectures, panels, so much time of has been spent trying to understand this question because you might say it depends. Is that one person really, really important? Is, is it just important to you? Is it, is it your wife versus five strangers? You know, is it five of your family members versus the one person with the, the cure for all cancers for all time? Like, what do you, and so I love the trolley problem as a as a basis for 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 something and for here the essential question is do you save the captain Captain Coulter Stevens or potentially save millions by having him trapped and locked into this thing and you're effectively killing his future uh, and so that's an interesting philosophical conundrum and Goodwin of course for this final loop. She has to terminate his service. And so she has a mission, right? And it's an extra threat to Sean to some degree. Whether or not she succeeds is a threat either way. If she succeeds, she might kill him forever, forever. Um, but if she doesn't succeed, she also might never let him escape this hell that he's found himself in. But his, his death gives him another chance at life. And so it's nice also to see Goodwin have a mission after watching Coulter. Having like to be clever to accomplish his own mission. Now we're seeing Goodwin having to figure out how to accomplish her own thing, um, how to get Coulter what he wants. So it's nice to give her something to do because ultimately Coulter's mission is going to be a little less exciting uh, on its own, right? He's God now. Like for this eight minutes, he is God. He's got the upper hand on the train. He knows all. So having the threat of Goodwin accomplishing her goal, plus the question of if his new reality will continue existing 
is our stakes for the final act. We need that final run to mean something in as many ways as possible. And so they still find a way to let a bomb not going off be dramatic and, and give us like a, a, a pause moment of what happens next. Um, and that's just a really good place to put the audience. And the, the last thing he says, and it's so good to hear him say it for a change, which is he looks into it. We have that beautiful freeze moment, which I can't remember. I want to say, I want to say this set off that little trend for the next two years of the, what, what the freeze challenge. Wasn't that what it was called? The freeze frame challenge where people were staging these elaborate moments. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. I remember that. Right. That, that was fun. I want to say this set it off. If not, it just uh, took advantage of it, but I can't remember exactly when that started. Um, this was released in 2011. So only the gods know for sure. Um, <laughs> but, but we have that beautiful moment of, we don't know. And we think this is it. This is how we end. And there is a rightness to that. We're okay with that. So to find an extra little gear after that, it's just a cherry on top. And the first thing he says after everything unfreezes, he looks at her and he tells her everything is going to be okay. She's like, yeah, great. The last thing of the movie that gets said is the, the email that he sends to Goodwin. And he's like, if you're reading this, you know, and he gives her the, the sequencing, right? He sets it up on a T um, and he's challenging her help Coulter help, help me help this guy do what he's trying to do. Um, and now you can imagine this like domino effect of Coulter's infinitely getting help from Goodwin. But uh, the last thing he tells her is if you are reading this and if everything is exactly the way I'm telling you, um, I have a message for Coulter. Tell him everything is going to be okay. Cut. I love that because he has to figure out in the face of tragedy, how to move on with his life. And so this whole movie, even though it's about this thriller solve the bomber explosions and blah, blah, blah. At the heart of it, the, the heartbeat underneath it is in the face of tragedy, we have to find a way to say everything is going to be okay. Let's experience that. What's it mean to not be okay or everything is wrong. And then let's, let's see what everything is okay. Looks like, Oh yeah. I think that's yeah. a beautiful theme and it's simple. It's not complicated. Uh, and it doesn't have to be. That's the thing with themes um, and, a, and a good heartbeat to a story. You don't always need to solve the the cure for everything. Like just everything is going to be okay. Yeah. Cool. And, and it, it doesn't take a lot to, it doesn't take a lot to, to provide a little bit of that. So, you know, that everything is going to be okay line. You just make sure that that's thrown in there a few times throughout the film. I mean, you know, I'm thinking it from the point of view of like, <clears throat> of somebody writing something. Right. And, and feeling like it's a little disconnected in the end okay we'll find one little thing maybe it's something that somebody says and find places where you could go back and put that you know put it in the beginning oh he says this okay then she says it and then you know maybe 30 minutes later or 20 minutes later and then you know because that happens a few times throughout the movie so because it happens more than once well because it happens more than two times i would say it is now a, a central theme yeah. Right. And you've done it with one line. Everything's going to be OK. And as long as you you know find a way at the end to address that, either everything actually is OK or it was said for a purpose so that everything is not OK. But 
we we envision we see it as okay then then now it's become something that's bigger than the single line you know but it's it's so great in this movie as an example of a way to do it in such a minimalistic way of just yeah. you just make it a line you hear it uh, towards the beginning you hear it kind of in the middle you hear it towards third act or in the third act and then and then you're out like oh wow okay cool yeah so really efficient and yeah. it just adds a, that extra little emotional layer because hearing him say that after a movie filled with him dying and mad about it <laughs> he's never happy about his circumstances uh it just it confirms everything that you've been wanting to be true i think um on some subtle level yeah dude yeah i i love it the other thing i thought was interesting was the use of the bean now the bean at, at when this came out had only been around for four or five years in chicago that big reflective thing yeah. and i think this was the introduction of it to the world at large. I don't remember another famous use of it before this. And then I feel like after this, it became just a massive staple of Chicago. Like it's the big art piece. I feel like most cities have their big art piece that make you think of that city. Austin doesn't really have that yet, but obviously, I mean, New York has a dozen of them, whether you're talking about, Statue of Liberty, um, which is the big one, um, or the the Bull, right downtown, um, Wall Street, Wall Street. Thank you. Yeah, it finding some cool, and he just used it, and it it worked so unbelievably well because stylistically, it plays into kind of this analog feeling, right, that we get whenever he's being pushed around in time, and so you you can excuse it as a uh, a visual like motif but then whenever the we use it at the end of the film to see him actually going to the bean and it's like whoa maybe this was faded like and i love that little question do you do you believe in fate it's like eh, i'm more of a, a dumb luck kind of gal <laughs> like perfect <laughs> um, but it is a nice tie-in like to to i don't know visually with this idea of time and and fate um yeah uh, it's, it's again, just another little simple, small wrinkle that seems to pay off, um, mm -hmm. within the story itself. Yeah. It also, it also, like, if you want to go even deeper, it makes you think of, you know, the whole mentality or the thought of the, the future affects the past affects the present, you yeah. know, kind of thing. So, you know, when I was watching it and you get that every time he goes back in, you get the glimpse of her reflection in the bean. I knew it was the bean. I knew they were in Chicago. I knew, uh, you know, I knew it now, right? But you're sitting there thinking, was that this guy's that he's like kind of leapt into? Was that his memory, or is that a future? You know, is he is he um, uh, is he like sucking in this guy's memories? But then you're in the guy, and you realize, no, 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 he doesn't have any memories of this guy. You know, the, he yeah. has no idea who this guy is, who the girl is, like where he is, how, like how he, oh, you know what I mean? So yeah, it's not a memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great so, point. So it's a possible future. It's kind of like the whole, the whole, um, you know, Dr. Strange thing. There's, it, there's a million possible futures, but there is one and his brain is, is attaching to that or like the future is attaching to the past in a way to show him that there is a way 
out. And he's so that's what gives him the idea of I know I can save these people. You're wrong, Goodwin. You're wrong. You know, dude, I'm so glad you said that, because the experience of watching this for the first time can't be replicated. And I've been just breaking myself trying to remember why did I find so much significance with the bean thing? And that was it. That was really it. The first time I was watching this, I remember being really confused. Why are we seeing like these flashes of her? And it's exactly what you're saying because I associated it with the memory of Sean. And by eradicating that, it would became this other element of actually, no, this is, this was, this was him all along. It's uh, a little bit of the, I don't know, entanglement of, you know, time travel and him. And it just suddenly made sense. Yes. Good. <laughs> Thank you. I don't that's, know. That's, that, yeah, yeah. That's been Very a cool. strain in my, in the, in the back of my head for a while. So <laughs> that, that's nice. Yes. Um, that's, that's all I got. I'm done. <laughs> Mic drop. I'm out. Peace. <laughs> what, uh, yeah. Any, any final thoughts, man? Oh, I, I just loved it. I thought that, um, the performances were great. The, the um, writing was great and everything. Mon- uh, again, I liked you. Thank you for the, the kind of like, putting Monaghan's performance in perspective for me, you know, because I love her as an actor. I think that she's great. And so I was, that's why I, this hit me. It was like, why is this performance really yeah. off for me? But I feel like that's either who she is, like who her character is or what she needs to be, you know, for this story. I don't yeah. think this was like her decision as an actor to, to, to be this way. Which is which is fine. I mean, she does have reactions like when he beats the the guy up off the train before he falls onto the track. She's like freaking out. So, um, yeah, but I thought the writing was really smart. The payoff at the end is fantastic and and like lovely and which we don't always get. And um, and it, it was a good twist there that makes a lot of sense. So a lot of fun. I wish more movies were like this, uh, to be honest. I mean, and I, you know, I know the look is pretty aggressive, but I kind of like, I don't know, it makes it feel a little, you know, um, period-esque, yeah. I think, you know, of you like, you you shoot a thing and then you take the, you take the color to an extreme or you take the, the whatever you're doing to an extreme. I mean, the entire open is all drone footage, you know, we're like, talk about establishing. Okay. All right. We're in Chicago. <laughs> got it. Jesus. You know, three minutes. We're just seeing like aerial footage of Chicago. Okay. Got it. Um, but they beat the hell out of it. Right. But, but that's fine because, you know, we don't need to see, we, they don't want to give us too much information at first. You know, they don't want to, they want to give us where we are so that we're really embedded in Chicago and this grand open, you know, the world. Right. And then we're like zoomed in and to to him waking up. Right. And now we're in the train. That's where we are. We're verklempt in here. And then when he dies, we're verklempt in the box he's in. And so I get the whole aerial establishing so that it feels really small when we go into the world. But but yeah, I'm OK with the the saturation and all that stuff. And and I I it just feels, you know, 10 years old. And I'm okay yeah. with that. I like it. We're just em- em- embracing that. So, yeah, yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Um, nice. What uh, what are you going to recommend today, man? Uh, so I'm going to recommend. Well, let me make sure that. Um, let me just make sure we haven't. Yes, we haven't. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> I, I want to. I'm going to recommend. Uh, it's from. It's about 15 years older. So I don't know. I'm going to recommend The Illusionist with Ed Norton. 
hadn't watched it in a while and I revisited it uh, a little while ago and it's just a lot of fun. I'm not going to say anything about it uh, if you haven't seen it, but go take a look. It's uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. The nice. Well done. Um, yeah. I might actually go watch that. I haven't seen that in ages. So yeah. Right. Um, I think it, it was... came out right with like the prestige, right? They were kind of like back to back. Yeah. Um, and that's what I think it, that's why it got a little like, it was like under the radar a little bit more because of the prestige and uh, uh, yeah, but it's just as, I mean, going up against cool. Nolan with the same concept, risky, yeah. my friend, even Nolan 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's no going up against Nolan now, but like 15 no. years ago, even that's hard. Yeah. You better do something completely opposite. Like Barbenheimer. Like that's exactly uh, the only chance you have. Nice. I'm going to recommend a little film you've probably never heard of it's called intacto uh it's a it's a very strange film but it's a it's a little indie film i want to say it's pretty short but i don't even know how to describe it it's about luck it's about fate and it's people that are dealing with luck and i mean dealing in a somewhat literal way like uh, they're gambling with luck uh, and they, and it's high stakes. It's like life or death kind of stuff. It's, is my luck better than yours? Kind of like big bank takes little bank. And so it's just a, I, I can't really remember that much more because it came out in 2001. This is over 20 years old. Um, and I remember running across it in like, uh, 03, 04, somewhere around there. And I was just like, this is crazy odd film. I just remember it has Max von Sydow, uh, who's always a fan favorite. So yeah, go watch Intacto. It's a strange one, um, but it's it it plays in some of the same sandbox as source code when it comes to um, determination and uh, will free will versus fate and all those kinds of things. Yeah, um, nice. So stay tuned next week when we take a look at one of these options or <laughs> potentially a fourth option. Um, um, let's do Crimson Tide. Yeah. Is that, or do you want to do, what do you? No, 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 no. That's great. I mean, because Troy is great too. So City of God, I mean, they're, those yeah, are all there's great choices. So. No, no bad options. Um, yeah. It's good. Nice. So as Todd said, we'll go, uh, stay tuned for next week. We'll take a look at Crimson Tide. Uh, we'll see what Denzel is up to at the bottom of the ocean. Um, that guy always getting himself into stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um yeah and if you're enjoying the show don't forget you can drop us a note subscribe all that fun stuff if there's something you want us to cover a movie we haven't done yet that that you find interesting uh let us know and if you want to comment on this episode in particular you can do that at the pestlepodcast.com slash source code oh by the way did you know duncan jones is the son of david bowie what yeah, yeah. <laughs> just uh, by the by the dude who directed this movie is david bowie's son yeah just yeah <laughs> fyi <laughs> no i did not know that what else has he done now now i want to moon go... moon oh yeah that makes a lot of sense. that makes a lot of sense yeah. Okay, that makes a lot of sense yeah that make i i get that that makes me want to go watch that movie again actually like from the point of view of like a david bowie fan yeah <laughs> Wow. Wild. Yeah. Sorry. Did not know that. Did not at all. Oh, uh, uh, well, our man, I'm, I'm throwing a loop now. Uh, our quote of the day today is from Bob Marley. Don't gain the world and lose your soul. Wisdom is better than silver or gold. 
I just liked that quote because um, I think like we we operate so much during our lives of getting ahead and and you know providing and and having this 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 these goals about everything right uh, and i think that i in particular lose sight of the enjoyment of things while i'm trying to get ahead or the in the moment or the maximizing my opportunities and my my capabilities that I, I lose sight of things and I feel like the moment before the last explosion didn't happen was a great like when he says he's going to save everybody I thought he was going to do something with the bomb I thought it was just going to be something like that but he chose to make everybody's last moments positive hmm. right the guy who, you know, the, the comedian who likes to perform, he got to perform. He got to make everybody in the train laugh. Gyllenhaal's character gets to they get to kiss and be together. And that was saving to him. And I thought that that was just a beautiful little, yeah. little moment where I said, like I said before, you agreed. That could have ended right there yeah. and been wonderful as a frozen moment in time. And to them, it it whether the explosion happened or not, it kind of was. So anyway, yeah, I just, I was looking at a bunch of quotes by him and then this one just, I kept going back to it. So. Dude, I love that. Especially in this context, because, you know, we have this security apparatus uh, that just is only worried about saving the world. And we forget sometimes what we're actually trying to save um, because there's this mentality of, if it saves one life or at, at, at any cost, you know, um, and what are you, what's left once you start stripping away, you know, our, our right to live, um, the way we want, right. Coulter is stuck. He's trapped and, uh, he's at the whims of the people who have power over him. And it's not until they decide that, yes, I will set you free that he finally gets to go and, and live his life the way he sees fit. And so I think it's a, it's a good governing philosophy too, of like wisdom is better than silver or gold. Um, and you do want to maintain your soul. Uh, and sometimes that means living with some risk, but that's the trade-off. That's, that's the trade-off of having, you know, freedom and liberty. And, um, and I just love that this guy saved everyone without killing anyone even even the bad guy got to live um you know and that's that's an interesting way to go about it he could have just said i'm taking absolutely no risk i have a gun i have access to this gun bam <laughs> game over motherfucker <laughs> like, yeah. you know he what he say he saved everyone literally um he he completed his mission and um and because of that he also got to keep his soul in that way too and and got to go and live his life by maximizing life um yeah yes great point pretty great quote man nicely done yeah (laughs) cool um so yeah yeah (laughs) now we move on to the reason we're really here um nice okay so we're gonna play a new track from todd or from mad valley this is uh your new band name a single artist and uh, really excited about it. Anything you want to say about it before we hit play? No, we'll talk uh, about it afterwards, but yeah, uh, no, I wrote it three and a half years ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> that, 
Yeah, no, uh, this, uh, I'll, I guess the only thing I'll say is this started with just a piano and I was sitting in my room and I liked a piano sound and I, and it like wrote itself, the piano part wrote itself in probably just like two minutes. Um, and the whole thing is centered around a piano. So that that's it. Yeah. We can talk oh, about it. After. Nice. Okay. Here we go.
buddy. So, <laughs> holy crap. Uh, I want you to say whatever you want to say, but I mean, the horns, oh my God, the freaking horns yeah. are great. The guitar solo is great. What I'm really impressed by is the patience. There's a lot of, this is a really patient song. Um, and by that, I mean, like you have a, a nice, you know, handful of measures before we introduce uh, the full band and then your break you have this really lengthy breakdown and we just hang out there because normally a breakdown is going to last for you know maybe i don't know eight measures or so right and you just kind of get one loop in get another loop in then you're right back in it and that felt like i don't know 32 measures it felt lengthy um and so yeah it, i i want to hear about all of that right uh tell me what what's the song about what you know why'd you make it so for, i mean well, i used to live in la and um i was pretty not happy towards the end there but i was um had a girlfriend at the time and we weren't doing well and then we moved to austin together we moved back to texas and that it was it's really about that trip of like this weird feeling of something ending my life in in la and being happy about that, but then something else ending my relationship and not being happy about that. And it's this dichotomy of, <clears throat> of trying to figure out like, how do I really feel? Cause I'm happy, but I'm not happy. And so I was, I just kind of put myself in the, you know, I'm sitting in this truck and we're driving and we're, we're, you know, I'd fallen asleep and I wake up and I remember, Oh, we, we just had a fight. Are we still fighting? <laughs> you know, I I have no idea. Are we still fighting? I can't even remember what it was about. Like, like what's happening right now? And in the middle of like New Mexico or something. And so I literally tried to put myself back in there with the like lyrically. And then I, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I feel like sometimes when you're, you're, you're arguing with somebody that you care about and that you love and you just want them to see your point and there's always these moment or, you know, you guys to at some point, you don't even care if they see the point. You just want to stop fighting. You have these like moments where things just like slow down. Maybe there's a silence and and stuff. Your head is moving 100 miles an hour trying to think of the next thing that you're going to say or that she's going to say or he's going to say. And then but you feel like there's there's a mountain of time between what you just said and when they respond or what they just said and you respond, whatever. And so that's what I felt like these down choruses were supposed to be. These moments of just silent anarchy, oh, right? Wow. Where you just, you're just sitting there like waiting for the next <laughs> bomb to drop, you know, and where you think, okay, did what I just it, is what I just said. Okay. Did I go too far? You know, did I end this just now by saying that, you know, and so it just felt right to have these choruses be down choruses. And then the second, so the first one is relatively short. It's just a couple of lines, but the second one, I wanted to stay there and like make it really almost uncomfortable. You know, this is a single, this is like, you know, you want it to keep moving forward. You want it to like, I mean, if you look at the the typical single, it's almost all, especially nowadays, it's almost all up and up tempo and stuff. And like you said, if you have some down moments, it's a couple of bars or maybe four bars and eight at most. And then you're in, but yeah, I got like 32 bars because I, I have it. It's a double chorus and there's like a bridge section. So all of that is down so that when you come, 
when it actually does land and you come back in and you you hit that solo, it's it's much more up. And and I also played with tempo a lot during this song. So you have one tempo for the for like the verse, you know, the up verse, and then you have a down chorus, but it's a faster tempo. So it feels like you can get through it a little bit faster. So it's like two or three BPM faster. And then you slow down again for the up chorus. So not much, but just a little bit, you know? And so, and then for that second chorus, it's, it's up two BPM. And then in the bridge it's up three BPM. And then it stays there for the, the ending. So we, we play with tempo a lot too. So it might feel slower, but it's not so like, imagine it being three BPM, three beats per minute slower during the down moments you know it might feel too long so anyway i just played a lot with that and and then the solo at the end that was scott because i got i i had this song for probably three four months and i was so frustrated because i'm not that good of a guitar player i mean i'm okay but i'm not like a soloist and i felt like man this needs like a really aggressive solo and so i sent it to my friend scott and he he you know vomited guitars all over it and sent it back i was like yes this is perfect and that's the solo he played like three years ago oh my god i'm curious too horns uh did you imagine horns from the beginning or was that inspired after you finished the track and you're like what else am i missing i need to get some horn players into the studio that's a great question yeah no i i never thought horns i actually never thought when i wrote it i never thought that it would ever be anything that i I would (laughs) ever put it out you know i was I was just working on stuff for a library and then, and this came out of it and they ended up not taking it. Um, so I just had it sitting around. So I never thought about horns, but then when I realized, oh, okay, I was going to do a record and I thought, and I had some songs where I needed some strings. I thought, well, if I'm having strings, I might as well <laughs> you know, bring in a few horn players. And then, um, and in, yeah, my, my buddy, Alex Navarro is an amazing arranger. He, he, wrote some parts for it and everything so it just turned out you know i don't think i don't i wasn't thinking that it needed the horns i was thinking it'd be cool to have the horns so and turns out it was (laughs) it was very much nice well done man uh thanks for sharing that uh we'll put links mad valley uh where can we find more mad valley music man yeah it's uh well this song is streaming on all the platforms now um and then every two weeks i'm going to release another single so uh for like a couple of months before the actual album comes out so i did you know i spent a lot of time on it and i didn't want to just throw it all out there so uh, but everybody you know i'm learning this new environment so everybody says oh release a single a month that just felt a little too long for me so Mm. just throwing out I'm going to put out a single every two weeks. So just look for that. You can, you know, go save it, listen to it, stream it on the, in the background while all day long, while you're doing whatever it is you're doing, that would definitely help. But thank you, Wes, for the the platform and letting me talk about it, man. Man, my pleasure. Awesome. Hell yeah. Um, Well, thanks. And you all can look forward to more music. Uh, We'll definitely be tracking all these. I'm excited to hear and, and, learn more about what went behind it. Um, I think production is always interesting to us, you know, uh, creators. Um, And also just, it's really nice to hear good music. So check the links in the show notes. Um, Yeah, Mad Valley, at your local everything. (laughs) Thanks, man. (laughs) 
so thank you for the platform and for for playing it I, it's a lot of fun talking about it i always love talking about music you know uh but hope you guys enjoyed this episode um and please join us next week and if there's anything that you want to hear uh, uh tear apart pull apart and 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 talk about please share it who knows maybe we'll cover it uh and subscribe review us share us with your friends it all helps so much we appreciate everybody who listens uh every single week uh, until next time i'm todd i'm wes Go watch some movies.